Welcome to the Lemper Report Live. We start today's broadcast with some disturbing and upsetting news from last week. Our friend and true industry leader, Frank Yanis, has resigned as Deputy Commissioner for Food Policy and Response at FDA. Now, this has major repercussions, and it should be a wake-up call at the FDA. Frank has an illustrious resume leading the creation of the IBM Food Trust with Walmart, and his insights and leadership led to the food blockchain, which significantly increased the information available and time to track food recalls. Frank's resignation came with a caution for us all, that the FDA has fractured leadership, and as deputy commissioner, he found the post had little authority and operates with a very small staff. He urges the FDA commissioner to create an experienced deputy commissioner for foods with power and direct oversight. The FDA needs people like Frank, and it's to the detriment of our entire industry that he has resigned. I can only imagine the calls from both retailers and CPG companies that are laying offers at his feet. Thank you, Frank, for all your hard work, for all your insights, and everything that you've done for us. We wish you all the best. Today, our insights discuss a retailer's $9 a day healthy meal challenge, new food waste solutions, the change in food consumer labels, a bill in California to help fast food workers, and why your restaurant meals doesn't taste quite the same anymore. On Bullseye, yet another brand reaches outside of their space to build their brand, and it's lame. Be sure to check out Food News Today on supermarketguru.com for the most up-to-the-minute news feed, courtesy of our partnership with Zizen. And don't forget to add your own insights and comments during the broadcast, and we will share those right after the Bullseye. Let's get started. So, Sally, I love this $9 a day challenge. I love it for a bunch of reasons. Um, Jacqueline Gomes, um, a friend of ours at uh, the RDBA side of life, is the face of the $9 a day challenge, basically working with Allegiance. Allegiance is a um, wholesaler um, that provides um, Food Town, Fresh Town, D'Agostino, Gristidis, Pathmark, Labella Marketplace, Brooklyn Harvest, Market Fresh, Martin Williams, Big Deal Food Market, Greenway Markets, and Shoppenbag, mostly in the uh, New York metro area with a lot of services. And this $9 a day challenge is fabulous. They've worked closely um, with the chef of the New York State public schools to develop it. It's healthy, high-quality meals on a budget of just $9 a day. What can I make for $9 a day? <laughs> well, Phil, you are right. Jacqueline Gomes is fantastic. I want to give her a big shout out. I watch these videos and she's got a great personality. And um, also the information is really great for shoppers. You know, all of these stores under Allegiance, you know, that they're servicing, these are locally family owned and operated stores. And so they're very in touch with, you know, economically what's going on with family on with families and how to feed them on just a little bit of money. So for example, what, she, what what they 
they're doing is they they start with a base protein. So um, one series, the chicken is the protein. So um, you've got your chicken for the day, and then you've got a you've got a breakfast sandwich. They show you how to make out of chicken, a pesto broccoli chicken salad for lunch, and then a tomato basil chicken, and it all adds up to nine dollars. Now there's on the dinner there's there's really not any sides included in that. So you may spend a little extra if you get you know some rice or some pasta or a vegetable to go along with it. But it's really a brilliant and very helpful campaign to consumers, I believe. And what Jackie has really done is she hit right on the nose. She's hitting, you know, the high price of food. She's hitting health and she's making it in bite size, pardon the pun, bite size <laughs> segments that people can do it. Um, so, yeah, kudos to Jackie. Great, um, great retail dietitian um, leading the way once again. Um, so let's talk about waste. We all know the numbers about waste. Every story that comes out talks about waste, waste, waste. But there's some new innovations about waste that we want to share with you. Number one is a new product called the Mill Bin. It turns, this is in your home, it turns ordinary food scraps into chicken feed. It's an electric kitchen waste bin. It shrinks and de-stinks the typical kitchen food scraps over a course of several hours, turning them into usable food grounds. They're then returned back to mill. Uh, they send you a box, you can return them back, and it's processed into chicken feed um, and sent to different farms. What do you think about this idea? Well, Phil, with more and more people wanting to get on board with helping to um, preserve the environment and to, you know, to do their part, um, I think it's a great idea. The, you know, what I what I'm curious about, what you think is about the price point of this. If how consumers are going to react to this, because what what you've got to do is, if you sign up for a year, um, it's thirty three dollars a month, so three hundred and sixty nine dollars you would pay upfront. That gets you the machine that you put in your house, you operate it through an app on your phone. Um, and then it also gets you the, the prepaid shipping containers um, to send back to mill your compost. Um, if you don't go on a yearly plan and you want to go month to month, it's a little bit more expensive. I think it's $45 a month for that. So what I'm wondering is, do shoppers have that in their budget right now? You know, they're being crunched at the grocery store. And so can we expect them to fork out another $33 a month to, and the time to box up compost and send it back? Yeah. And and there's a couple things. Um, number one is, yes, I agree with you. Uh, the $33 um, a month is a red flag for me for a lot of consumers. And again, keep in mind that, that a product like this is really designed for those people who aren't composting now. So it's not the diehards. Um, these, are, these are the people who care about the environment, don't know what to do. Um, so, so you're not having a very committed audience, number one. Number two, the first thing that I heard when I heard about 33 bucks, they're also selling it back to farms. So they're making money from you and I, and they're making money from the farm that's selling it to it. I think it's an interesting idea. Um, we'll see if it works. I What I'd really like to see is I'd like to see them, you know, work with the government and give people some kind of tax credit for doing this. Um, let it let it come off of our income taxes, where that three hundred ninety six dollars a year 
um, is really given back to us so we can feel good about it um, and it's not coming out of our pocket. At the same time, um, we're, we also see a new study that just came out uh, from Ohio State University. And what they're doing when it comes to waste is estimating uh, the best large-scale uses for food processing waste. What they're doing is analyzing the contents of the waste, then proposing production opportunities that range from sustainable fuels, biogas and electricity, to useful chemicals and organ organic fertilizer. Um, so what, the, what they're doing is really determining the value of the waste and then helping people figure out how to make money off it. Uh, one, one example from Ohio, uh, Ohio State, is that um, they turn eggshells and tomato peels um, that are sourced from Ohio food producers into fillers that go into rubber products, partially replacing the petroleum-based carbon black in tires. Um, so, you know, I think it's a really cool idea. I think it's probably just in the beginning stages of it. And again, I just wonder how this, this can really reach commercial levels. Yes, and it, it is it is a great start, I believe, you know, knowing what um, what the, the uses of and what the value can be in certain types of um, of waste. And also, you know, maybe it's a start to encouraging food manufacturers, retailers, you know, to get involved in a way where they are not spending their resources and their money to help the planet, but they're actually getting something out of it themselves. So the National Resources Defense Council, their Food Matter initiatives, um, is expanding. What's that all about? They have a great program. Um, the, the Food Matters Initiative launched in 2015, um, but I guess it's just now getting, you know, it's really getting going here and they're 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 offering to cities that have a population over 200,000 to apply for this program that will give them the technical assistance they need um, to develop strategies around food waste production. Now, this can include um, estimating food waste generation, assisting with food waste reduction, planning, messaging, and funding proposals, facilitating city support for edible food recovery programs, and expanding community composting. So this is happening in Cincinnati. I've read it's happening in Phoenix, um, two great cities that I'm not surprised are, are getting involved in something like this. Um, so, yeah, um, we all need to try and get our mayors to get on board. Absolutely. And good good for NDRC. Um, they're, they're always doing fabulous programs. Um, we're, the, our food world is about to get more confusing. We come up with all these new diets. We come up with all these labels of consumers. We try to segment people. Um, and now there's some new phrases coming out. Climavore, reducitarian, we've heard uh, before. But it looks like all these new terms are really focused on Gen Z, millennials, and frankly, um, the environment. Uh, basically, a report from the consulting firm uh, Carney came out and saying by 2030, our food routine choices will be climate directed. Um, they're much less concerned about taste, but it's all about climate. What do you think about that? And what do you think, you know, is the industry going to really embrace this? 
Well, I think that, you know, some some companies, Phil, you know, we're seeing are embracing this. Um, there's um, there are restaurant chains like uh, Just Salad, Chipotle and Panera Bread that are using carb carbon labels now on their food. Um, some that are adding climatarian as a filter on their apps if you want to filter out items in that way. And so it does seem that some of these terms are taking off. Now, they can get a little confusing because you're not you're you know, there's so many that you don't know which one means what. But I think the premise is basic for all of them, you know, that they all that they all are about not focusing on on the ingredients, um, but focusing on if those foods support a healthier planet. So, you know, it's not about eat not eating meat, but maybe you're eating pasture raised meat. Um, that's kind of how it works. What I what I'm curious to see is if, if there's um, a lot of companies that end up doing some greenwashing and kind of taking advantage of the situation and misleading consumers to believe that their products are actually fulfilling these claims. Absolutely. And that and that's always an issue that we've got. Uh, the New York Times uh, talks about one in particular that's trending, Regenivore, which is uh, the latest and hottest eating label, according to the Times. And what it means is a new generation wants food from companies that are actively healing the planet through carbon reducing agriculture, more rigorous animal welfare policies, and an equitable treatment of the people who grow and process foods. Um, so clearly, we're going to start to see more labels than ever before. Um, the, the other thing uh, that I want to talk about is California has put a new fast food law on the 2024 ballot. What they're trying to do is set minimum wages. The current minimum wage here in California is $15.50 an hour. And what they're looking to do uh, for those chains, mostly fast food chains, coffee chains, people like McDonald's and Starbucks that have 100 or more outlets nationwide, not just statewide, they're looking to raise employee wages to as much as $22 an hour. Huge increase. Uh, great for the workers. I'm not sure what the impact is going to be for us. Um, when it comes to cost, does that mean that our Starbucks coffee is going to go up, you know, a buck a cup? <laughs> well, I hope not. Um, but I know, you know, as someone who has lived in Los Angeles in California, it is very hard to um, keep up with the cost of living at 15 55 an hour. And so, you know, it does with the way that inflation is going, we, we do want to see our employees are are their wages coming, you know, matching inflation so that they can afford to feed their families and and take care of themselves. Um, they're in addition to that, though, the restaurant industry, you know, has also experienced their own inflation. There's been inflation in in the cost of labor and the cost of goods. And so so it is a tricky situation. Um, I'm very curious to see how this plays out. And I'm I'm really rooting for these workers and hoping that they get the raise. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. And again, what we're seeing and has been reported is huge corporate profits, um, increased prices, uh, fights over label. And as we talked about the end of the year, you know, one of the trends certainly that we see is that, you know, 2023 is going to be the year of labor. 
We're seeing whether it's Trader Joe's, uh, whether it's Starbucks, other places around the country trying to unionize uh, to get those you know benefits up, to get those wages up. And I think that we're just seeing the start of what's going to be a year-long effort to have more equitable wages, uh, which I think is is great. Uh, talking about restaurants, um, one-third of restaurants report serving lower-quality ingredients uh, because of inflation. This is a report from Toast Restaurant Industry Outlook Survey. And uh, both full-service and quick-service restaurants are using cheaper quality ingredients. And what that means is lower quality. Uh, a lot of these places have cut down their inventories. 34% of them say that. They've reduced their menu. 31% have done that. And 36% of restaurants have had to raise prices. So when you go into a restaurant these days, um, does the food taste the same? <laughs> Um, you know, it's interesting that you asked me that, Phil, because we, we, my my husband and I talk about this a lot when we eat um, a fast casual at a fast casual res restaurant or a fast food restaurant that it doesn't seem to taste as good as when we were younger. Um, I don't know if that's our taste buds changing or the ingredients changing, but um, but what I am curious is to is to what um, sort of skills they're bringing in, what sort of um, chefs and their culinary skills they're bringing in to actually know which ingredients ingredients, okay, you can cut down on that ingredient and it's not going to sacrifice the flavor um, or the way that somebody enjoys this meal, but keep this ingredient, you know, it's worth it to spend money on this ingredient. That is something I would like to see and um, understand a little more myself on how they approach that. Yeah, I haven't noticed the, the quality going down. What I have noticed is obviously prices going up in restaurants and also portion size getting smaller. And when you used to have, um, you know, a, a piece of fish and it would be this big, now it's this big. You used to have this many vegetables next to it. Now it has this many vegetables next to it. And, and I find myself uh, at times leaving a restaurant hungry and looking at the bill and saying, whoa, I paid that much and I'm still hungry and I'm going to go home and have a peanut butter sandwich. Just doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> So thanks, Sally. I'm proud to announce a new segment for 2023 right here on the Lemper Report Live in partnership with Deloitte, who's embarking on an intriguing grocery effort, the omniscient grocer. To kick off the series, John Kennedy, executive in residence at Deloitte, will join me. John, can you give us an overview of what we can expect in this important series over the next year? Thanks, Phil, and we're excited to be partnering with you. In the last decade, so much of our world has become connected and instrumented, but the next one promises to hold even more change as these systems become more intelligent and the experiences they create become more human-like. These smart systems will play a greater role in the way that we work and live, but as well for the way businesses operate and for the way that they serve their customers. At Deloitte, we call this new era the age of width, when these smart systems will work alongside us every day. We're looking forward to exploring what this means for the grocery industry as we come through future episodes. So, John, I can hear the grocers in my ear asking me to ask you, what does this mean specifically for the grocers who are watching this? So as we step into the age of width, 
we use the word omniscient to describe a bundle of capabilities in an in-state for almost any business. But we're starting with grocery because there's, unlike any industry that's seen so much change over the last several years, so a topic your audience is intimately familiar with. An omniscient grocer can be described three ways. First, an omniscient grocer is everywhere, meaning they're not just a trusted member of the community, but a trusted member of the household. Not just omni-channel, but omnipresent. An omniscient grocer is aware in the sense that they not only understand what their customers purchased, but the underlying decisions and factors that explains why they made the purchasing decisions they did. And lastly, an omniscient grocer cares in the sense that they have the trust and permission to create new kinds of services that support future revenue growth. So we're looking forward to discussing this in more detail um, as we come through future episodes with you. So John, I'm gonna ask you to put on your Netflix hat. Give me a preview. What are some of the upcoming episodes going to be? So in future episodes, we'll go deeper into the omniscient grocer vision, uh, but as well discuss the future of the grocery industry. We'll be joined by other members of the Deloitte team and other members uh, and, and leaders from the grocery industry, where we'll talk about the journey to get there and some specific use cases that allow grocers to get off to a fast start. So we have an interesting series lined up and we hope uh, everyone will join us in the upcoming months. Thanks, John. Looking forward to learning a lot more. On today's Bullseye, just what is with these companies? It seems like almost every week there's another iconic brand that isn't focused on their brand's taste or ingredients or nutritionals or reducing prices for shoppers, but rather they're focused on moving away from the food itself and trying gimmicks to get brand PR here on social media and everywhere they can. I don't know how much they're spending on this campaign, but I would just love it if they took that money and lowered their prices as consumers are constantly reaching out to us, asking when food prices are going to come down or at least stabilize. Eh, probably not in our lifetime. The latest culprit, General Mills. Last Friday, General Mills started selling their mini breakfast bundle for 45 bucks. What's a mini breakfast bundle, you ask? Well, it's not breakfast food. It's mini toy kitchen accessories, something you might see in a five-year-old's dollhouse. There's a cinnamon toast crunch mini fridge, a tabletop fridge that's perfect for storing all your mini breakfast essentials from cereal to your favorite choice of milk, then a Trix mini utensil set. This Trix-inspired cooking set features the tools you need to make mini Trix pancakes and waffles. And who could forget the Reese's Puffs mini muffin mold, which is a silicon mini mold, which makes it easy to bake their mini cereals into muffins. The cereal companies, all of them, not General Mills, are committing food crimes. They're reducing the contents of their packages, renaming package banners from giant to family size and other nonsensical marketing gibberish, and in some cases actually making the box larger in height as they reduce the net weight. What? What do we have to do to get these brand managers and marketing folks to focus instead of looking for the high-profile cute gimmick that get a, gets on Facebook or TikTok? Really? I would expect a lot better from the likes of General Mills. Sally, let's head to our Q&A. 
John Pandall, our top fan on Facebook. Um, He has a lot to say today. And just for everyone else out there, just so you know, we welcome your comments and you don't have to comment when we're live. Um, At any point, we are reading your comments throughout the week. So um, let's start with John saying, um, the Society for the Prevention of Proliferation of Food Attributes. The time has come for a responsible adult to play whack-a-mole with this madness. And then next, and then and then next on our on our food waste story, more ways to deal with the waste, the cost and carbon footprint of shipping compost by delivery service. Does that really make sense? There is no free delivery. So this is subsidy, a good use of resources, waste from a food processing plant that might make sense. You know, and, and John, you're bringing up a really good point that when you look holistically at at the idea of grinding food scraps into animal feed at home, um, and then the cost of shipping it, the carbon footprint of shipping it, everything else probably negates any benefits that are there. So excellent point, something that I hadn't thought about. And then Frank uh, John also says, completely agree on Frank Giannis, pharmaceuticals and medical devices drive FDA and they need much more bench strength, bench strength on the food side. Absolutely. Well, as always, John, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for your insights and comments. And one of these days we got to get you on, you know, join us for some insights. <laughs> uh, well, we'll do the three of us. Yes. Uh, so thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, The Lemper Report is all about inspiring ideas, making our industry think, and challenging each other. Let's think about being the shopper and how we can bring our supermarkets and restaurants closer to meet their needs. I hope you'll come back to join us on next week's installment of The Lemper Report Live when we focus on the biggest and the best insights and the things that really matter. Be sure to visit supermarketguru.com for the latest marketing analysis, issues, and trends. And don't forget to join us right back here next Monday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern for more.